Trinity United Methodist Church in Ruston, Louisiana. Our prayer is that God uses this time to speak specifically to you, regardless of where you are on your faith journey. We'd like to also invite you to worship with us every Sunday morning at 1045, either in person or online at www.trinityruston.org. Thanks for listening. Our scripture reading this morning is going to be from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, verses 40 to 56. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about twelve, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowd was almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. And when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. And when he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand, and he said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. And then Jesus told them to give her something to eat, and her parents were astonished. But he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this morning, I want to walk you through a method of reading the Bible that I think will be helpful for you in your daily Bible readings. And so what I like to do sometimes, I like to take a text, especially one that I'm familiar with, and I like to look at it through fresh eyes, right? Like I don't know how it's going to end, uh, like I've never read the story before. Because remember, all these stories, they unfold in real time for the people that are walking with Jesus, And so in this particular story, I find myself identifying with Jairus, right? Looking at the interaction with Jesus through his eyes. I mean, he is, after all, the reason this whole mission takes place. Now, the name Jairus, it means, may Yahweh awaken or enlighten. I think, indeed, this morning, uh, Jairus, uh, along with some of us, we are going to see uh, Jesus, uh, and he's going to enlighten us uh, to some things that are about to happen, See, Jairus has this 12-year-old little girl who's dying. It's uh, not just his baby girl. It's his only child. So the mission is quite clear, right? Find Jesus, save the girl. And as Jesus is on the way to heal Jairus' daughter, the crowd is pressing in all around him, and then Jesus gets stopped. This unclean woman, she comes up, and she touches Jesus in a way that draws power out of him. 
Now, in Mark, the woman says to herself, if I could just touch his cloak, I would be healed. And that word healed, church, I want you to remember this, that word healed uh, in the Greek, it means saved. If I could just touch the Messiah, I would be saved. It's interesting, right? It makes me wonder why she thought this way. Even Peter points out for us that many people are touching Jesus, yet it's only this woman who is healed. So what was this faith that she had? Hmm, what was she thinking about here? See, the hem of the cloak, it tracks back to a teaching in Numbers 15 where the Levites were to make tassels on the fringes of their robes and it was to remind them to observe the law and to remain holy. It had 613 knots in it. That's how many laws there were. Imagine stitching that by hand, right? Uh, it had a single blue cord that ran through the middle of it. It represents their royalty, not only as Le- Levites, but it represents them as one nation under God. The tassels on the hem of the robe, they were a marker of their identity. It was a reminder to be holy because at least seven different times in the giving of the law, God specifically commands his people to be holy for I am holy. Seems like a pretty tall order if you ask me. Maybe God is just being hyperbolic here. Or maybe God has something going on uh, way beyond our understanding. So is it possible that in ignoring the Old Testament law that we've missed something of the holiness of God? But then you would say, right, well, what would that look like for us New Testament Christians? I'm glad you asked. So it's true that before Jesus, we had the law uh, and our ability to keep it, right? And so during this time, the righteousness came by keeping the law to the best of our abilities. And as you know, there was quite this extensive sacrificial system in place for all the times that we tried and failed to obey God. But then Jesus comes on the scene and he's able to keep the law perfectly. And Jesus becomes the sacrifice on our behalf and he does so so that we might be righteous in God's sight. And so in Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says, I've come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And we like to think that that's the end of it, right? Uh, We no longer live under the law, and that means we no longer live under this weight of this expectation of holiness until we get to the end of Matthew 5, and Jesus says, be perfect, therefore, for I am perfect. Gee, thanks for lightening the load, Jesus. But I think what we're missing here when we talk about Jesus fulfilling the law, it isn't that Jesus just meets all of the commands perfectly. He did. Uh, But it's because that Jesus was the perfect son of God that as we live in Christ, we no longer live as one condemned by the law. And that's what Paul is getting at for us in Romans 8 when he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because of Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives you life has set you free from sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. Here you go. Write this down, right? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And that's why James calls it a perfect law of liberty. It is no longer your works that make you righteous. It is the righteous work of Christ on the cross that justifies you before a holy God. If I start preaching, just say amen and let me know. 
Okay, in Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you have been set free from condemnation and you have been set at liberty not to obey the law of Moses, but to obey the law of Christ, which commands us to love one another as Christ has loved us. It commands us to no longer judge who is worthy of God's message of salvation, but to spread the good news far and wide to the ends of the earth that Christ is risen and that he sets at liberty those who are oppressed. See, under the law, the woman is unclean. Under Jesus, the woman is healed. In Jesus, the outcast and the unclean find salvation. Through Jesus, your sins have been forgiven, and you have new life in Jesus' name. It doesn't matter where you've been, how far you've walked away, or how badly you've messed your life up. There is no depth of hell that Christ cannot reach into and pull you out of. If your sins are bigger than your Savior, then you have drastically misunderstood the grace of God and the power of Christ on the cross. Jesus takes a lifetime of sins and shortcomings, and he offers salvation in their place. Nothing? Come on, church. All right. They're sparse today. You're going to have to get after it just a little bit. Let me hear you again. Okay. The woman who stops Jesus, she's been bleeding for 12 years As 12 years as an outcast, 12 years unworthy to approach God in the temple, 12 years of humiliation and shame. But when she touches the hem of Christ, that hem that represents the law of God and the holiness of heaven, she is healed by the identity of the one wearing the robe. Indeed, Jesus has filled full the weight of holiness that is commanded by the law. Indeed, Jesus offers us this very same salvation. Go in peace, my daughter. Your faith has healed you. It's a faith given to her by God that trusts that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the divine healer, that there is no other name under heaven or on earth by which we must be saved. And that's great. I mean, I'm talking about that's that's really great stuff. But while all this is happening, the little girl dies. Did you forget about her? Do you think that Jairus feels like Jesus forgot about her? Remember, the mission is not about the bleeding woman. It's about Jesus going to heal Jairus' daughter. The woman's healed. That's great. But the little girl dies. While Jesus is distracted by this unclean woman, someone uh, traveling from Jairus' house, she comes, they stop Jesus, and they say, don't worry about it, teacher. Don't come any further. The little girl is dead. So if I'm Jairus, uh, I'm not too happy that Jesus took his time. If I'm Jairus, I may not say it, but I'm going to be a little bit bitter that Jesus stopped to help someone else while my little girl lay dying in pain. I mean, what is it that Mary and Martha say to Jesus as they're burying Lazarus, right? If you had only been here sooner, he would still be alive. They'd set out on this mission to save Jairus' daughter. The woman is in the way. The woman's an obstacle. She's the reason the little girl dies without Jesus. The mission has failed. And all because this woman had to touch Jesus. She could have waited. She could have followed the crowd. She could have been healed on the way back. Jesus should have kept moving. There's something a little more time-sensitive to deal with, don't you think? Interestingly enough, 
Jesus doesn't see it that way. Interestingly enough, while the little girl lay dying, Jesus doesn't turn the woman away. So here it is, church. Here is the divine, eternal secret of ministry, right? Usually you got to pay seminary professors thousands of dollars to get this kind of knowledge, but I'm going to give it to you today for free. Jesus didn't sacrifice the mission by healing the bleeding woman. She wasn't in the way of the mission. She was the mission. The mission of the Messiah was to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Jesus never passed by someone who wasn't in need of salvation. And Jesus never passed by somebody who he refused to heal. Jesus always stops to heal the people who call on his name because God always hears the cries of the needy. And so when Jesus gets to Jairus' house, he does something that no one is ready for. He brings the dead girl back to life. See, in verse 50, Jesus turns to Jairus, who's mourning his daughter, and he says, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. And again, that word healed means saved. Jesus isn't late. Jesus is right on time because Jesus has a mission that is way beyond the mission that is right in front of our face. Today, we're taught to press forward at all costs to accomplish the mission of making Christ known to the ends of the earth, right? Uh, Build bigger churches, draw bigger crowds, set bigger budgets, and if you hit these marks, you will be a healthy church. But the tassels on the hem of Jesus' robe, they were a reminder to be holy, not healthy, not healthy by a Western metric, You tracking with me here, church? Okay. So we can't get so focused on the mission that we lose sight of the master. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and there is no longer death, for we are given new life in Jesus' name. So seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things shall be added unto thee. You know, what if these ideas weren't merely just good religious philosophies? What if they were instead divine eternal truths by which we were meant to live our lives, not just something we believe, but something we become? Well, what happened if Jesus ignored those he passed on the way? If Jesus never stops for the woman, then she continues on a life of horrible torture and pain. And so even though helping the woman seems to take away from the mission objective, Jesus stops so that she may be healed. What if we would stop long enough to realize that our mission to make Christ known to the ends of the earth must be modeled after the one who took his time? What if we stopped long enough to help those along the way, realizing that they aren't in the way of the mission, but they are part of the mission So I ask you, church, do you have the faith that Jesus talks about in this passage? Faith that believes that Jesus is the son of the living God, that he is the divine healer, that Jesus is one with the great I am. Do you have the faith that when the walls are closing in around you, when it feels like you've lost everyone and everything, when your life starts to hemorrhage at the seams and you're agonizing in pain, that Jesus stops to save even you. That in Jesus, you don't just find healing from what ails you, but in Jesus, you find salvation. See, faith doesn't mean not having moments of doubt. Faith is trusting that Jesus uh, knows a little bit more about you than you know about yourself. 
Faith trusts that Jesus knows what he's doing, even when it looks like the mission has failed. This is what we're talking about when we talk about laying it all down at the cross, right? Give Jesus your cares, your worries, and your problems. Because Christ died on the cross, he put that cross on his back, so you would have to carry that weight no longer. Give Jesus your desires, your ambitions, and your life goals, and let Jesus show you something that you thought only happened in the first century. See, faith breaks through the crowd of concerns that's keeping you from Jesus, and faith reaches out in desperation for the one who takes on death and gives life in its place. Christ died that none shall perish, but that all may have everlasting life. That includes you, and it includes those you meet along the way. It includes those that you would label as unclean. Our passage today says that Jairus was a synagogue leader. So you might be interested to know that Jairus was laity. He was not clergy. So don't ever think that your service to your church is somehow less important to the eyes of God or that somehow you're not on the same level as the pastor to be about the work of Christ in the world. So like Jairus, may God continue to awaken and enlighten us to the mission of Messiah that brings the power of healing and salvation to a hurting and broken world. Let's pray. Father God, open our hearts and our eyes and our minds and steady our souls that we may go out and begin to see you at work in the world that we may follow those little nudges of our conscience to tell us to stop here or talk to that person there and that you may give us the words to speak and all glory and honor would be to God in heaven. And it's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Refuge Podcast. To find out more about The Refuge and Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityruston.org.